Hey friends, these episodes are recorded in advance, so we wanted to take a moment before this one to just pay our respects to Jack Pruitt. Jack passed away September 16th, this past Thursday, and he was the brand manager of Benjamin Franklin Plumbing under Authority Brands. Jack joined Benjamin Franklin Plumbing under Clockworks in 2008 and has been part of the franchise ever since. Jack was a strong advocate of Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, and, and frankly, he's a strong advocate of the plumbing trade in general. He had a real passion for, for bringing kids into the plumbing trade and giving them a, a shot at, uh, at f- freedom, frankly, and, and financial success that so many of us have found in the plumbing trades. Nate and I had the opportunity to actually eat some ice cream with Jack uh, this past June and hang out with him and chat for a little bit and the same thing. That strikes us every time we hang out with Jack struck us then as well that he was just a fountain of optimism and and smiles and just the most caring guy and we at the waste no day podcast and Benjamin Franklin plumbing will certainly miss Jack yeah well I think it's a, it's a combination of hard work and, and opportunity right and um, what drove me is I, I I really couldn't fail like I mean my wife and I were so far in debt that if I failed, I mean, it was going to be an ugly situation. And so I, I worked harder than I ever had in my entire life to get there. And, you know, you know a couple of things that I, I look at that helped me, and I think, you know, as business owners say, you know, what can help them? I look at having that family support is important. I mean, if you're married or you have a partner, parents or whatever it is, and when you go home at night, I mean, sometimes you just might need a hug. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you here on a new Monday. We're dropping a new episode, this time talking to the CEO of Authority Brands. That is Rob Weddle. And we are excited to have him on the show today. Uh, he took some time out of his busy schedule to spend with you, and we're going to be putting him in your passenger seat this go around. Before we do that, we're going to listen to a quote from Brian, and then we'll give a little bit of an introduction on our topic. If you're just saying, hey, I'm doing this, I'm working to make money, I'm working to increase my status, if that's all there is, I think you will find out that it's meaningless. Tony Dungy. Yeah, that's a good one there. And anybody who has started a business, considered started a bi- starting a business, uh, or has risen to any level of ownership or at least high-level management, those types of things, or has aspirations to do so, if all your end goal is is just financial gain and and fame and publicity, it's it's going to be a coin toss, man, as to whether that works out or not. Every business owner should have a passion inside of them that is driving the reason that they're moving forward. And I can almost guarantee you that in the home services industry specifically, the people who started these businesses or who are currently operating them have a servant heart inside of them that honestly cares about taking care of people in need. 
And, and, and we see that even in our own employees as well, even if not at the uh, owner level, but at a frontline perspective. So many of our employees and so many of the good nature, just fantastic people in the home services industry are servants at heart. And there's a passion inside of them that drives them to do what they do that is beyond money, that is beyond fame. Now we like to back those up with with money and fame, or, or you know money and and uh, attaboys and those types of things as well. And we believe that good customer service will lead to that. But at, at the heart of the matter, there's a passion and a desire to serve. Even if it's even if you're talking about two technicians who both drive yellow one hour vans and both uh, are here specifically to make money. Even if you're talking about those two individuals, if one of them his sole purpose is to show up and make money and go home. And the other one's sole purpose is to, and we see this all the time, to be the number one producing technician in one hour. The one with the, with the goal outside of just making money itself is going to make far more money than the one whose goal is just to make money. Right. And, and it's it, no different in the, in the management world. It's no different in, it's no different in, you know, take us and some other managers, for instance, if my goal is just to make as much as I possibly can as a manager versus my goal being, I don't know if it's my goal, but my, my passion being bringing young men and women out of, you know, trade school or high school or wherever, just doing absolutely nothing off their mom's couch, the basement and showing them a career path and, and then having them, you know, hit me up on Facebook or see me at the grocery store with my wife later and, and talk about how we as an organization changed the course of their lives. Um, that's, that's an, a bigger goal, a bigger vision, something bigger to reach for. And the money just happens to show up. Yeah, Brian, you, you have a certain perspective. I mean, coming from your background, you know, sort of that I don't want to say rags to riches, but you know, a, a version we of couldn't that. afford rags, <laughs> a version of that where, Baby you know, wipes. this has li literally changed. It's changed your life, this career path and the opportunities that have come with it has altered the trajectory of where you could have been, right? You have many, many friends who did not have the same endpoint and unfortunately have already seen their endpoint um, in life uh, that, that did not get these opportunities or chose to not take advantage of them. That's right. And I would say by and large, didn't get these opportunities. It's easy to say like anybody could have done what I did, but had I not had certain people like my uncle Tony reach out and my uncle Scott and Tom and Tom Drake reach out and say, here's, here's uh, an opportunity that come with me, sit in the passenger seat or oftentimes <laughs> old Ford van sit on this bucket in the middle between the passenger and driver's seat and hold on tight. Where, where's, to the, our seat where's the seatbelt at uncle? Uh, you see that come along back there? Yeah, <laughs> Strap <me>. it on. <laughs> exactly. It was uh, whatever, whatever I could do. I mean, I didn't want to be doing that stuff necessarily. I'd, I'd rather be hanging out as a teenager, but those are the things that got me to where I'm at now. And, and not everybody had that opportunity. So it, it's, it wouldn't be, fair to say that everyone had the same opportunity in my neighborhood in Detroit because not everybody did. I got put on a path and got to learn plumbing and then went to Las Vegas and got to learn the more selling professional selling aspect of it and really pursued that hard and then ended up 
back plumbing here where I was promoted to management and off, off we're running. And my, what I like to do, my, the most rewarding thing I do is certainly not cash in a paycheck. The most rewarding thing I do is get tagged on social media and thanked and grabbed at the grocery store or at the gas station as I'm filling up. Mugged. Mugged at the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> that's rewarding. <laughs> um, it, but is, is the gratitude shown to me by somebody, and it makes me feel like I got to pay this back a little bit. Like I got to return the favor a little bit. But that's that's just my thing. That's my um, worthwhile goal, the reason that I do this. And everyone might have a, a slightly differing one, but to Nate's point, it's it's just that just saying I'm here to make money not not going to leave you all that fulfilled and probably not going to get you all that far. I mean, I was listening, well, we both listened to um, the uh, To The Point podcast. The They're doing the uh, part two of the seven, uh, what is it, seven focuses of management with Ken Goodrich out of the E-Myth uh, revisited book by Ken Goodrich and Michael Gerber. <clears throat> and he, he, went into great depth, actually heard Ken vulnerable, I think, for the first time, despite knowing him since 2004, when he was just really kind of waxing on about don't just make it about the money. He was saying, I have, I, I, I could get literally anything money could buy at this point in my life, and I've had all the toys that money offered. And it, it just, it was clear that it carried so little weight to him at this point compared to having good friends and having his family and his wife and, you know, Sadie, his very famous dog in the HVAC industry. <laughs> yeah, Brian. In fact, that type of thinking uh, resonates in our particular organization that Brian and I work for in that our core focus, like if you would ask us what our core values are, you know, we've talked about that before, their professionalism, empathy, drive, and gratitude but our core focus is actually to provide high dollar opportunities for our team. And we, we find that that message really echoes in the, the hearts and desires of new people coming on because they're like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't have anything to do with HVAC plumbing or electrical. You're right. It doesn't. And while we do exist to provide that service to our clients, we don't exist to provide that service to our own people. We exist to provide a ladder, an opportunity, a pathway for you to take yourself from here to there. In fact, uh, famously, Bill Hybels uh, has used that very apt description to explain what leadership is. Leadership is simply the ability to take somebody from point A to point B. And we're doing that as a leadership group to our employees, or, or at least attempting to do so, from a financial, from an emotional, and from a trade and technical perspective, taking them from here to there and allowing them the opportunities to grow both in the trade and in their pocketbook along the way. And that's not to say that we, we don't want people to be hungry and driven and go after it ferociously, including, including making an income for yourself because we're all about that. I mean, if we, if we exist to provide high-dollar opportunities for our, our team, then that means... We, we want everybody to go, go after those. <laughs> Some opportunities better be capitalized on, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it's all about. And, it, and it, is, it is about making an income and making a living and making sure that we all make as much money as we possibly can. But it's, it's just, it's 
vastly more than that. And it has to be vastly more than that. It has to, something else has to matter. And with Rob Weddle in general, we had a conversation with him leading up to the interview in the podcast. And it, it became clear to us that he is not uh, a guy who's sitting around thinking about dollars and cents all day. This is a, a, a very genuine. Yeah, that's his CFO. this is a very uh genuine heartfelt human being that we we thought was a a really good guy and we were kind of reminded that he was at our christmas party our company christmas party in 2019 because he lives actually lives not too far from us um and his mom lives about 40 minutes from us and he was he's a very just a good humble guy very very genuine he he shared with us that i don't know maybe he doesn't want us to share this part but uh too late. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> he, uh, he, when he, when he gets emails off of the newsletter that goes out to the, the authority brands companies, um, he, his, his email address is in there. And when people email him, he actually answers the emails himself. Yes. Reads the responses and replies with like, Hey, would you like to have a conversation? Let's talk sometime. And a lot of times it's, it's people venting. They're frustrated. They think he's like, just this silver spoon ivory tower guy. Um, and he, and he shared with us that he's, he's the first person in his family to ever go to college. He was like broke putting his, putting himself through college, um, you know, taking on college debt and really worked his way up from the bottom to what he is now, which is CEO of a, I don't know, probably pushing a billion dollar revenue company. Yeah. So uh, clear your schedule, Rob. Uh, next week, there's going to be a lot of emails and phone calls coming your way from people who just love to talk to you. Dozens and <laughs> dozens of Waste No Day listeners. And we will take credit for that 100%. So I did want to say what companies are in the Authority Brands Network because it's not just Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, One Hour, and Mr. Sparky. It's America's Swimming Pool Company, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, uh, the Cleaning Authority, Duty Calls, Pet waste management. Definitely want to touch on that with them. Uh, what do they call themselves? Number Scoopers? one. No, oh, like, uh, we're number one at being number two. No, we're, we're number one at <laughs> handling number two. Something like that. <laughs> uh, uh, home watch caregivers, Mr. Sparky Electric, Monster Tree Service, Mosquito Squad. Got to get them over to the house for show. One hour heating and air. And Stop Professionals, which is a restoration company. Sorry, right. Stop Restoration, yes. Service Team of Professionals Restoration. Yes, so uh, without further ado, we're going to invite Rob Weddle to sit in your passenger seat. Our guest today is Rob Weddle. He began his career in franchising in 2002 as a franchisee of the Cleaning Authority. In 2005, Rob joined the franchisor as an operations representative and rose through the organization as VP of operations, COO, and eventually became the CEO in 2014. Rob actually remains today a multi-unit franchisee of the Cleaning Authority, uh, which we definitely want to ask him about and talk a little bit about that. Rob leads the executive team at Authority Brands in the company's evolution as a leading multi-brand services franchisor. He also provides the operational guidance for the management of Authority Brands' 10 portfolio brands, which Brian just listed. Three of those business units um, are the ones that Brian and I work for. 
Since 2014, Rob led the company through nine brand acquisitions, oversaw substantial gains in unit counts, system sales, and earnings growth. Rob has a Bachelor of Arts from Dickinson College and an MBA from Vanderbilt University's Owen Graduate School of Management. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks, Brian. How are you doing today? Great. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to talk to you. Appreciate uh, you and Nate inviting me. And uh, I've listened to some of your episodes, and I've got some big shoes to fill. Ooh, which, which episodes did you listen to? Or which, which was I your favorite? To, uh, I listened to, uh, well, Mark Dawson's going to be my favorite, of course. Okay. He works with me, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I, I don't think I'd live it down if I didn't say that. But, uh, you know, Mark's a great guy. I mean, that one, uh, when we had the opportunity to start working together, I've known Mark for a number of years, even prior uh, to him joining uh, Authority Brands. And when that opportunity came, came uh, I was like, I jumped on it. I mean, I, I almost couldn't believe my good fortune to be able to, to work with him. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. He, he had a, it was a great episode and he is a, uh, just a, a good, great mind for the brands and uh, super driven. And he seems to really be pushing everything along, which is, I felt like what we need, what we needed when he yep. got here. Absolutely. He's got the right background. You know, very similar to, you know, even myself and, and a lot of our leadership. We, we've got all kinds of similar um, backgrounds where we've, you know, been franchisees or are franchisees and then not working on the franchisor side. And I think that gives a very unique perspective um, and kind of allows us, I think, to be, you know, a better franchisor than, than our competitors. So, uh, so I, I look for that as I, as I build up my leadership team. Awesome. Well, Rob, we'd like to learn a little bit about uh, each one of our guests, how you got into what you're doing now, what does your history look like, where did you start from, and what does your day-to-day look like on a on a basis right now? So why don't you kind of give us a preview there? Yeah, yeah. So the franchising is probably the most interesting stuff. I've been doing this now for about 19 years. Uh, I guess at the time, back in the late uh, 90s, I graduated business school and was uh, working in, in corporate America and and basically doing project management work for a consulting firm. That was during the tech boom, and so, so things were really, really good. But I was you know, generally unhappy and, and from the standpoint of I was traveling all the time. I was actually doing a gig where I was like three months, or three weeks a month in Europe, uh, and then one week back in Texas and Dallas where my wife and I were living at the time. And, you know, frankly, it was fun. I mean, the travel was decent, but then uh, we had, a, had a, my daughter. And, uh, and, and so the first year of her life, I think I was around for about three months of it. And I realized this isn't really what I wanted to do. And just by, by chance, I'd been at a neighbor's house, and, and he had done some similar type of work. And he was kind of saying, complaining about the same thing, traveling too much, not seeing his family. And he mentioned this uh, company come across called Franchise. And so Franchise is a consultancy that helps match prospective buyers of franchises, right, with the franchisor. And so I reached out to Franchise, and they do something pretty interesting. They do like a like a survey of you, right? It's an interview. They want to check your personality. What do you want out of your, your business ownership? And then, you know, number two, what can you afford? And at the time, you know, I was, you know, pretty living pretty modestly and, and my wife and I didn't have a lot. So I mean, we were going to really stretch to do any kind of business. Um, and they matched me up with a couple of concepts. They showed me an automotive concept. They showed me a food concept, but they also showed me the cleaning authority. And as I started to look at home services and I started looking at, you know, recurring revenue model, you know, the demand, uh, it was, you know, tech resistant. You could use tech to enable it. Um, and as I started building out my financial plan for cleaning authority, I like, frankly didn't see an end. Now, part of that is I probably wasn't financially savvy enough to really build the model out beyond five or, or six years. But it's like, man, this thing could just become huge. And by that point, we had actually moved from Texas to Delaware, so we could close to our family, which is you know, primarily in the Northeast, up through New England and, and Pennsylvania. 
Um, so I, I, the territory I ended up buying is in York, Delaware. And uh, I'm still in that today. Uh, my brother, I've got two younger brothers, and one of my brothers runs that business. He joined me in the business in about 2003. Um, and at the time, our goal was to create the largest uh, cleaning company in Delaware. And we have that. So, so we actually wow. own the largest residential, and that's Delaware, right? So second largest state, uh, you know, home to to Joe Biden. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we worked hard to, to grow that. And, uh, and even today, I mean, it, it does a little over $10 million a year. Um, you know, I'm pretty proud of the fact because our ticket average is at $135. So you know, it takes a lot of house cleaning to get to that $2 million mark. So, so we kind of achieved our goal there. Um, so that was, you know, kind of my introduction. And, you know, we uh, first couple of years did really well. Um, you know, grew it fast and won a Rookie of the Year award, um, which um, you know, we're really proud to get. And then around 2004 or five, the, the franchisor, the cleaning authority, kind of pivoted with their operational structure. And they started going out and looking for some of the top performers and bringing them into the operations team as paid employees. Um, so it's kind of unique. And at the time, it was very unique. Uh, today, we actually employ that across the majority of our brands where we go out and try to find the best operators and bring them in either through a formal basis or an informal basis, things like the peer groups and the pinnacle groups, which I know you guys are familiar with, to kind of work with the other uh, folks in the system. Because, you know, one of the great powers of franchising is that people are all doing the same business um, and they can share those ideas and, and all kind of, you know, the, the ship will rise um, uh, for when everybody's, you know, kind of helping. So um, I joined the franchise of 105. Um, as kind of on a part-time basis. And then in 09, uh, they invited me to actually move to Maryland and become the VP. Um, and I took them up on that offer, and it was, it was good timing. My, my kids were getting into elementary school, and the schools in Maryland are really good. So my wife was like, yep, let's take that shot. And, and we did it. Um, and then um, in 2012 or 13, um, the founder uh, promoted me to COO. And then in 14, he actually sold the business. Uh, founder of the cleaning authority, it was two, two founders. Um, sold it to uh, private equity for the first time. So we were bought by a division of TNC Bank. You guys are familiar with, with that banking format. And they actually bought the business with the idea of this authority brand concept because the cleaning authority up to that point had actually built some pretty interesting things in franchising. I mentioned the operational structure. That was one piece. The other thing is they, they built a very robust local marketing program that they administered and helped franchisees continue to grow. I mean, even today, you know, the average cleaning authority owner, I think, is doing somewhere near like $1.3, $1.4 million. And in the industry, the average is more like six or 700 mm. right? So an average cleaning authority is double the size of an average Mary Maid or Molly Maid. Um, so they built a really good engine there. They also made a huge investment in IT. Um, so they built it as a custom software, uh, especially on its fourth iteration at this stage, to allow a franchisee to pretty much take a, you know, a candidate from their first, you know, contact, whether they're you know, back in the day it's a phone call, today it's, you know, digital or could still be a phone call, puts them in the system, tracks every interaction they ever have. You put all your employees in there, tracks every interaction those employees have, generates just a ton of reports. Um, and it's a really good system to allow a franchisee to monitor their business, you know, anywhere in the world. Um, they can see what's going on and, and it really projects what's going to happen. So we can able to look at KPIs and pretty much tell you in the next six months where your business is going to be, you know, if you're, you're doing X, Y, and Z. So, the really robust stuff, but you know, needless to say, because we built all that, uh, PNC's vision, uh, along with mine, was that, hey, we could go out to market, find other franchisors, and kind of bring them in, and we used to joke, we, you know, we're going to TCAI them, and kind of make, you know, see, fill in the gap, you know, see where there was some opportunity. So we kind of went on a mission for a couple of years and investigated 
you know, franchise concepts. We looked at pretty much every home service concept you can think of. And, you know, ultimately that culminated in 2017, the 30 was formed, where we actually acquired a business called HomeWatch Caregivers. So that was the first business, and that's an in-home elder care model. So not your traditional home service, but it is an in-home service, and there's actually quite a bit of synergy, particularly on the back end, uh, kind of put that together and create a 30 brand. Uh, HomeWatch today is, you know, a top 10 um, in-home care business. Um, it's actually been, uh, you know, one of our fastest growers. It's more than doubled in the last three years. So it's, uh, you know, really, really tremendous business. Um, so Authority Brands was in 17. A year later, uh, PNC, like, like many private equity firms, right, they make their money when they sell the company. So what they decided to do is go to market. And at that point, um, we were kind of on the radar. So there was a lot of suitors out there. Um, you know, there's other home service platforms. Um, you guys may have heard of service brands, uh, Neighborly, First Service, which are you know, three of the biggies. Um, and some of those had been trading as well. So uh, there was a lot of uh, interest in the market for another brand. Um, and us coming along and being kind of so new with a lot of upside generated a lot of interest. And APAX came to the table and really had a great vision to help us execute on our vision. Um, and so immediately... Um, you know, once we were in process with them, we started on kind of a, a tear of acquisition over the first nine months. Um, you know, we added America's Swimming Pools in 2018. We added Pseudo Squad in 18. Um, and then in 2019, really transformationally, we overnight doubled the business when we added the three trade brands. The Ben Franklin Plumbing, One Hour, uh, HVAC, and, and Air Conditioning, and uh, Mr. Sparky Electric. So, um that was really phenomenal for us. I mean, at that point, again, doubled the business, put us over a billion dollars in system revenue. Um, and then we kind of, we spent a, a number of months, you know, kind of pulling it all together. Uh, and you guys have been around at that time. So you may have recalled, you know, carving that business out of direct energy. You may have unfortunately felt a little bit of pain um, through that transition. I do apologize for that. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of work on everybody's part. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, look, look back to, in 2019, well, right after it happened, I remember going to an FLT meeting down in Miami, and I don't know if Scott or Matt were there. I'm trying to trying to see if I re- don't remember. I feel like those guys are on vacation a lot, so uh, that's good. They have a great <laughs> life. <laughs> so they, uh, I don't, I don't think they were there. I only know but them to work very hard all the time, Rob. I don't know what you've heard, but that's all they. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I mean, what I love about these guys is they they epitomize kind of the, the goal of, of business ownership, right? I mean. They build a successful uh, business. They're providing great opportunities for, you know, dozens of employees, including you guys, right, to, to rise up and, and, and provide that lifestyle. So someday, right, you can be them. And I think that's, that's kind of what I like when, when, when we encounter business owners and we work with them. Those are the people that I really want to, you know, follow and understand what they're doing because that's the model, right? I mean, somebody who buys a business and, and, and works themselves into the ground, I mean, it can work that way, but man, it doesn't seem like the, the right approach. And I know a lot of times when I talk to those kind of owners, they're generally frustrated and, and it doesn't, it isn't what it wants to, what, what they want to be, right? But, but what I think people miss out on is if you had seen, you know, Matt and Scott 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, right? When they were getting started out, the hard work they put in to get to that, building that foundation, that's the stuff that I think that's really important. And that's the stuff that unfortunately gets lost because nobody talks to them when they're, when they're building that. They're, you know, they're nose to the grindstone, they're working hard, they're making it happen. No one's paying any attention. And then when they become successful, I think sometimes in business, people look at that and go, well, they're successful. They just, they just, it's given to them or they just got there. And that's not the case at all, right? I mean, uh, almost all the entrepreneurs I know, I mean, I 
had very similar stories where they started, you know, hard scrabble with nothing. They worked hard. They got to where they wanted to be. There were some inflection points along the way. And then, you know, here we are today and you know, they're, they're running this, this enormous, you know, successful company. And, and sometimes people lose sight of the fact that it was, you know, there were some lean days, you know, as well. So anyway, I know we've been going through this, so a lot of information here. So, so again, we, we uh, spent a lot of time after acquiring software, kind of just transforming the business, added a lot to my leadership team. And that's when Mark came on. Uh, we added a number of other executives that literally again, doubled everything, you know, overnight. Um, and then beginning in 2020, we were primed and ready to go to, to continue down our path of acquisition and, and kind of continue to build the home services. And of course, COVID struck. And I think, you know, COVID was, was, uh, there's certainly not anything good about it, um, at all, but I certainly think as an organization, we were pretty well positioned to, to handle it because as we made all these acquisitions, one thing we never did is we never forced all the businesses to come to one place. We allowed them to continue to operate in whatever city, you know, that they were already operating in. So we kind of had a virtual company, you know, already in place. And so we were able to pivot pretty quickly, um, you know, kind of align how we were going to operate. Um, and then we went about really focusing in on the franchise owners. I mean, you know, I, I told them right out of the gate, like the first meeting we had when COVID struck, I'm like, nobody closed. I'm like, that's the number one thing is, is we're not going to let somebody, you know, lose their business because of this, because it's not their fault. It's not our fault, but we can do something about it. So, you know, again, that was you know, March, right? We didn't, who knew what was going to happen? Um, so we, we made a few decisions and, and, and restructuring some things to kind of give us some runway and, and, and then went out and, and tried to help the franchisees. I know we were doing daily webinars. I don't know if you guys attended any of those. And a lot of it was around, you know, PPP loans. And I think Mark uh, had told me that within the trade, you guys got somewhere in the neighborhood like 24 million in PPP loans across the system, which is tremendous. I think at the end of the day, it was, you know, more than half of our franchise owners across the entire system. At the time, there were, you know, roughly 700 franchise owners. I think it's like 480 out of 700 got PPP loans. Um, and I know we did, you know, really help kind of facilitate some of that and, and guide it. I mean, certainly um, the, the owners have to do all the work with, with the documentation, but just showing people, you know, kind of the process. I actually have a neighbor that owns this a private business, and he and I were talking, and his family had no idea how it all worked. You know, they were in a non-competitive business, but so I helped him too. I was like, man, you guys got to save your, your concierge business, and, and this is going to be the path. So, uh, you know, we, so we used it for what it was, and then, you know, fortunately, um, as you guys know, I mean, the, the, all the, the state pretty much came out and said, yeah, a lot of these home services can stay open, right? Nobody forced you to close down. And then demand just skyrocketed, right? As people were, were sheltering in place and deciding to make home improvements and use all their, use their house to a level they probably never used it before. So, you know, consequently in 2020, I think all of our brands, excluding the cleaning business, had record years. Um, the cleaning business really suffered from, from two things. One, just the reality, the type of stuff it is you're going in touching everything in someone's home. And then there were actually certain states that, that shut it down. They said like Michigan, New York, California. I mean, you know, some of the states that you might expect. Pennsylvania is interesting. They they were pretty uh, aggressive as well with them, with, with you know, kind of holding down certain businesses. Yeah. Um. But again, we've come out of it. Yeah. You guys. <laughs> we saw that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, your governor up there is. Uh, you know, I won't get political, but I, I, he was kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth a little bit. I know he's very frustrating <laughs> uh, for, for people that. Uh, we're working and living up there. And, and I actually have a second business. I own another cleaning business in Harrisburg. Uh, so I, I'm familiar with the terrain. And, and I remember that you know, my, my manager up there would call and say, can we open today? And I'm like, let's see what the governor says, right? That was kind of our, yeah. our, our, our daily thing. And, 
and, and, and we got through it. So, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a test for everybody. I mean, it's great for home services and that, you know, we did really well. I think, you know, I think all home services did. And I think it, you know, it, it really helped show the value. I mean, we had a pretty good year in franchise sales across the brands as well as, as people were displaced from their jobs and they started hearing that, hey, I want to buy a business and, and I can't buy a gym, they're closed, right? Or I can't buy a sub shop because you know, they, they don't let anybody sit in there. And, oh man, I can go buy a home service business and they're booming, right? And so it really, I think, um, you know, kind of highlighted some of the, the positive features of home services. And they, um, w- they will so- keep booming too. I mean, I, I think all, all trends are pointing in the same direction that the home services industry is on the verge of exploding. Well, whoever saw a time when something like Planet Fitness could be crushed by something. I mean, it seems like a bulletproof, nearly perfect business model. Just tons and tons of people who pay this low monthly fee to not use a gym membership, but they don't want to cancel it out of some kind of self-guilt. It seems like a a bulletproof model, but I remember my wife's Planet Fitness membership not being used. (laughs) Got got, um, paused. They just sent something saying we're not charging until this thing's over. And a local Planet Fitness closed down. Um, yeah, and, I, yeah. and I remember thinking, wow, how, how fortunate we were. I was to land in a, in a business that actually is bulletproof to a pandemic, seemingly. Yeah, no, that, I, I, I agree. It was, uh, it was quite a time. And I mentioned we those, those initial things. The first thing I did um, was we, we actually cut pay across the board. You know, it started with mine and, and you know, pretty much everybody took a, a cut and then as the year went on and we realized things are really really much better than we had anyone expected back in december of last year we were able to actually pay everybody back yeah, and so nice. i know that was a big thing for us is you know we saw we were outperforming you know kind of our expectations uh, to kind of game especially around the holidays right it was it was very very oh, so good you, timing you guys wrote yeah. checks to everybody to compensate them for that uh, pay cut yeah so yeah so let's see if you're making you know 50 grand I think I think it was you had to be making more than 60 if we did any cut otherwise we, we didn't do anything but I think it was a 10% cut if I recall uh, for, for uh, line employees and executives were 15 or 25% um, and so yeah they were basically so if you missed out on $8,000 worth of pay um, you got 8,000 bucks you know nice. I mean that was kind of the, the thing to, to, to give it back because because everybody worked even harder right I mean you know, and also the anxiety levels and the stuff that people were going through. I mean, I, I don't, you know, it was, it was hard. I mean, I've got you know, two kids and I, my daughter had to come home from college and I saw how, you know, you know, she started stressing out for like the first time in her life. I mean, she's a pretty organized kid and uh, I, I just felt a side of her that I'd never seen. And I can only imagine, you know, how many kids were, were dealing with that. You know, couldn't see their friends, couldn't go out, couldn't do the things that, you know, you, you and I probably just took for granted, you know, when we were, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. And, um, and I think even today, right, it's still kind of, you know, causing a little bit of, of grief for kids. And I know my, my son goes back to school in two weeks and he's, he's 16. He can't wait. Like he's, he just, you know, he just cannot wait to be able to see his friends every day. Right. Uh, which, you know, I think it's, it's really it's good, good that's happening. Although I, I certainly know there's still quite a bit of risk out there and, and stuff that we, we're still evaluating every day. Absolutely, Rob. So, I mean, kind of getting back to authority of brands there, and I think it's a really cool concept how, and I appreciate you detailing how it started and then how it like quickly and rapidly grew into uh, much more than just one or two businesses. What is kind of the, the general philosophy that authority brands is looking to do as they continue 
to grow and expand uh, the businesses and the different industries that they're involved in? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think we're really looking to be in the right types of businesses. We were kind of already talked about, you know, things that are kind of recession proof or are kind of bulletproof to some level. Um, and, and so we're going to continue to look for those things that can create large scale models. Um, you know, when you aggregate the entire system, you know, at this point, it's the 850 owners. Um, you know, we've got, you know, we added the tree service, the restoration business and, and the pet waste removal service as well in the, in the last, you know, nine months. Um, you know, the average across the, the system now is 1.6 million for an owner, right? And so, and I know that's even much higher in, in most of the trades, of course. Um, and so what we look for is models that can create really nice living uh, and, and, and a nice stable business, right? Something, because a lot of times businesses fail because they either don't get enough business or they start making bad financial decisions because they don't have enough, enough to play with to grow their business. So um, we try to stay away from, you know, kind of, uh, you know, man in a truck type situations where, where they can't scale or, or businesses that people, consumers might, you know, periodically use or never use, or they can elect to, you know, not use. Um, you know, that's interestingly, you know, why we, we would stay away from things like with fitness. So fitness is interesting right now, right? I mean, who would have thought that most people would be wanting to just work out at home and the pandemic proved that they're willing to do so. And now there's, you know, there's Peloton, of course, is the big, the big guy. Um, but then you've got, um, you know, I think Nordic track is in that game. Now you got this thing called the mirror in that game and, and, and to be able to deliver content, right. Digitally, like they do, where it's not the same workout every day. It's really makes it tough to, for me to even consider what I invest in a gym, right? I mean, there's certainly some aspects of it that, that, that make the gym very attractive. Uh, but I mean, this is the kind of thing that's like, wow, they kind of disrupted their model. And, and so when I look at our businesses, I don't see that type of disruption occurring. I mean, I, I see that, you know, certainly things are happening, but I mean, these are all labor intensive businesses that we're in and, and, and you have to go to someone's home. So, um, you know, we're going to continue to look for that kind of stuff. Um, and then as a franchisor, I, I think what, what, what I really focus on and, and you know, we, we always have room to improve. So I'm not going to say we're perfect at this yet is we want to try to do everything we possibly can so that the franchise owner, uh, business owner can do all the stuff they have to do and stuff we can't do for them, right? So the stuff that you guys do every day, you deliver that service, you deal with that customer, and you manage employees, train employees. I mean, we can never do that for you, right? I mean, we can't be in, you know, 1,700 locations, <laughs> right, at the same time. Um, so it's, you know, creating the tools that, you know, the software, the marketing programs, the operational, um, you know, structures um, and that sort of thing and support structures that's going to allow you to succeed. So that's kind of the, you know, the vision and, and it's you know, kind of where, where we are today. And, and again, my objective is to try to get better at that all the time and, and back, you know, having franchisees involved in that. But you know, we're going to be good at the pinnacle meeting here in a couple of weeks for uh, the trades. And I'm, I'm really excited you know, to see the leadership and talk to these guys about, you know, what do we need to be doing? Like, and I mean, it's, it's evolution, right? We're not just going to sit on our hands. We want to continue to grow together. We want to continue to invest in the right places. You know, where does that need to be? And, it's, and the, the people that have the best ideas about that are the folks that are out doing it every day. And so speaking of the folks who are out doing it every day, I mean, you know, th there can this be there can be a perception that, you know, oh, Rob, uh, th that Weddle guy, you know, he sits in an ivory tower somewhere, probably high on a mountain surrounded by a moat and things like that. He and doesn't? That, <laughs> there's no mountains in Maryland, bro. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are moats, though. Right? Plenty Towers. of moats, yes. 
<laughs> but I mean, if, if I'm working on the front line and I'm, and I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, all right, you know, what does this guy have to really offer to me? What do you say to the, the frontline people and, you know, the, the technicians, the plumbers, the electricians in the truck right now listening? Uh, what, you know, what do you call the techs at duty calls? Oh, scoopers? Uh, yeah. Scoopers, but I mean, I'll tell you what, <laughs> what we, uh, yeah, they, um, one of the things with a lot of the businesses too, and, and I mean, obviously you've got it in the trades is you look at the concept of career pathing. Right, so people going into these jobs at the entry level, right? So think of, of of your own business. How do they progress? Because I, I think from the outside in, right, and this is one of the reasons I think there's there's a dearth of people in trade. Is I don't think people go and look at that. They don't look at pooper scooping. They don't look at cleaning houses. You know, killing mosquitoes, cleaning pools as like a career, right? It's like a stopgap. And the reality is, I, I you know we haven't done this data in a while but i believe it's, it's well over 75 percent of like the management within our businesses started out at the bottom level of that business. Mm. wow right uh, yeah, it, so, ha- it so has people to be aren't out there that. hiring right which is tremendous right i mean that's the kind of thing where it's like this can be a career um and and you know obviously i think you know i think the trades it's, it's a little bit easier to see you see, see folks i mean the pay is higher um, you know, I, I, we do the payroll here for the corporate locations and, and I see what, what, you know, you can have technicians in their twenties, you know, clearing six figures. I mean, that's phenomenal, you know, and then you, you look at, um, you know, some of our other businesses and you've got the managers that are, you know, in their early twenties, mid twenties, you know, making, you know, 70 to $90,000 a year running the, the location for somebody. And it's like, but they started out, you know, cleaning a house or spraying for mosquitoes or cleaning pools. And, you know, that's kind of the messaging we try to help franchisees with when they're out there recruiting uh, because, and then give them the tools and the training programs, right? I mean, you got that Success Academy. Um, all of the brands have, you know, online training programs to help take those people to the next level because while a lot of these businesses seem simple, nothing's simple, right? It's devils in the details and, and they really need to, you know, focus on how to professionalize that business. And I think that's one of the things I saw when we, when we took on, you know, uh, the clockwork brands was the professionalization that had already occurred. And that was really attractive to us, right? It was really attractive to see uniform guys. I mean, they're wearing proper, um, you know, protective equipment. They put shoe covers on to come in your house. I mean, that's not normal. You guys know that, right? And that's the type of thing that wins the consumer and, and, and the level of service that, and, and professionalism that, I don't think people even understand exists, right? They're, they're used to, you know, there's some dirty person in a truck. And it's like, that's not the case. Yeah, it's right? very and, true. And they're, so, they're, they're used to worrying about oil being leaked in their driveway when a contractor shows up, whereas, you know, right. we, we train to park in front of the house and have weekly truck inspections and fill out truck care reports. I was, um, yep. I was interviewing a, a, an, a, a potential apprentice coming from a completely different in, industry. He's 22 years old, uh, Chris, this morning. And he's, I guess he's a millennial, maybe, right? Still a millennial at 22? Yeah. Well, I was listening to a a podcast the other day talking about the millennial generation and the generation coming up behind them as being very, um, they want pathways, even more than money. They want to see growth. So they, they did all these surveys of millennials, and despite that they tend to only be in a, at a company for three years or less, on average, they at like 85%, they said that in this, uh, so I can't remember who the survey is by. Maybe I'll uh, 
go find out and then Nate can edit it in in post. But <laughs> they said over 80% of surveyed millennials stated that they wanted to retire at the current company they're at. They just need to be shown a pathway for growth the entire time. So I was, that's great. As I was talking to this 22 year old this morning, I told him that we have, well, we're a tri brand here. So we have uh, one hour heating and air, Mr. Sparky electric and Benjamin Franklin plumbing. And we have at least one manager in each division that started as an apprentice at this shop, uh, including uh, the majority owner, Scott Rohr, started as an install apprentice. Yep. And he said that that's the type of pathway. That's what reminded me of the survey I heard about. He said that's the type of pathway I'm looking for for growth. Really good kid, like seemingly really hard worker, very dedicated doesn't want to leave where he's at now but he said he's he's hit the ceiling of where he can grow at 22 years old so he needs a pathway so the trades and i'm looking you know i'm looking up and down authority brands has 10 is it 10 brands yeah 10 brands right now yep and i'm looking at each one thinking where i'm at now at 42 and i'm 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 an apprentice. I came from an apprentice in plumber, plumbing, new construction started carrying buckets of, you know, peat gravel down to, to cover up the underground in Michigan and worked my way up to where I'm at now, which is a manager of two successful companies and a host of an unsuccessful podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can clearly see a path in every one of these companies where if my 13 year old son got into what it, whatever it is, the cleaning authority, duty calls, uh, monster tree service, the, the, uh, um, the pool company, I can see him progressing from apprentice all the way up to manager slash owners, whatever it is. I can clearly see a path in every one of these. And you can't say that about every company. You just can't. And it, it's cool to me that authority brand seems interested in, in acquiring companies that, offer that model, that model where there is an actual path to growth to become almost anything you would want to become. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, you know, back, back to like, you know, cleaning authority. And I know, uh, we, we talked about my ivory tower, right? Which is, it does not exist. Uh, <laughs> uh, if it did, my, but my, by the way, my son would want a blonde girl and a dragon flying around over it too. So. <laughs> <laughs> then, then I might like that as well. Um, but anyway, you know, back, you know, that's to say people don't see the backstory, right? So like when I started in 2002, one of the cool things, not cool at the time, but the cleaning authority is all franchisees are required to clean houses during training. And so I started from scratch, like day one, it was me and, and two women, Michelle and Jill. I remember their names. Uh, we were cleaning for, we, we started cleaning houses and I had to take them out and clean houses and train them. And I was cleaning houses myself pretty steadily the first two months. So I was, I was the trainer. Like I was training people how to do it. And, you know, I lost like 20 pounds, needed to lose it. Um, you know, and then as I moved into like month three, where I was able to finally, you know, kind of get out of being on a team, um, I was actually all day out, you know, facilitating those, those teams. And I mean, just constantly in the field, because my objective was, is my, my first job, right, was cleaning houses and training. My next job is going to be the inspector, right? So now I became my own inspector. And then from there, I could actually move up and maybe be the manager of that business. And, but to do that, I had to train people to replace me, right? And, and the only way I was going to do that was to know everything about that job. And so very similar, right, to what you guys are talking about in the way Scott did it, is you learn everything from the ground up. 
And so I subscribe to that wholly. Uh, and when I see our owners come in and, and they want to look for shortcuts and like, you know, I think we all know where shortcuts get you, right? I mean, the hard, you know, the hard work, you know, you need to want to put it all in and understand everything, understand the entire game. Don't make the game, the game's not going to get easier because you don't like to do something, right? So that's a, that's a challenge. But, um, so but that's, that's uh, how I believe it needs to be. Yeah, Rob. So I'm curious because you're you're sitting in a chair that probably has a, a bigger perspective on the nation and trends of the trades than most. And what's your thought on the disruption that's coming into the the field from Amazon or or uh, Angie's List or places like that where they're offering you know prepaid service, right? So. $89 buys you an HVAC tune-up or, uh, you know, $1,700 buys you a, a water heater installation, those types of things. What What's your thought on how that's going to impact the home services industry with these prepaid packages coming into the market? Well, you know, you guys maybe caught me a little flat-footed because I, I don't really have uh, as much information on those things as it as it as you're describing them. But, but what I will say is we've seen this in some of the other industries when you, it's, it's all price cutting, right? So at the end of the day though, who's going to do this work and how are they going to make money? Um, we've, we've seen Amazon, we've seen the Amazon effect, frankly, for a number of years where Amazon has been attempting to enter home services and where they, they will fail is they can't actually deliver the service, right? That they're not able to find enough people or the right people to deliver it on a consistent basis and to do it with quality. And, and so ultimately, it doesn't make it. Um, years, I think it's about six, seven years ago, there was a cleaning one out there called HomeJoy that was doing the same thing. And they, they had a bunch of venture capital behind them, and everybody thought well, everyone was just going to digitally get their cleaning service, and they couldn't fulfill anything. And so they, they kind of went away. And, you know, so I, I don't know if these things are going to go away, but I, I'll point to the fact, you know, nothing's free. Um, you know, something we, we've been talking about here now, and I think the state of Florida is doing a lot of this, is, you know, utilities are offering uh, like the services, right? You can get your right. water heater from your utility for, so we're actually looking at, you know, do we need to be putting in sort of like a leasing program very similar to that, right? Now, it's just, it's, it's counterintuitive to me, so I have to really wrap my head around this because you, know, you may or may not have had a grandma like me who leased her phone from the phone company in 1948. <laughs> and when she died in 2001, still was leasing that exact same phone for like 15 bucks a month, huh. same phone. And I'm like, I look back, I'm like, that woman paid like $20,000 for that phone. <laughs> so clearly, it's a business model, right? It works. But I, I, I also, I think consumers seem to be more savvy these days, right? Do they want to deal with that? Um, that type of thing, right? Especially with the amount of times that people, you know, buy and sell homes, too. I mean, again, my, my grandmother lived in the exact same home her entire life. I mean, how many people do that these days? So now, if you're leasing your equipment and you sell your house, how does that buyer deal with that, right? That, and that becomes another intricate matter. Someone's got to pay it off, mm. right? Somebody's got to be in there. It creates another another level of complexity. But but clearly it's happening, so we're not we're not avoiding it. Um, but I, I do have you know our teams here kind of looking into how's exactly working. What can we do, um, if anything? Uh, because because obviously if consumers are embracing it, I'm not going to argue with what consumers want, right? If that's what they want. And we, we need to figure out, can we create an offering that's going to be, be compete with that and be just as compelling? So speaking of what consumers want, I mean, the trades can be accused of being kind of old hat, old style, right? So, 
in the market today, there still exists the guy that's going to show up to your house who's going to say, yep, uh, this will probably take me about two and a half hours and then I'll send you a bill. Like that still exists in the market today. And then, of course, you have the, the other side of that, which is more the straightforward pricing. Either way, the, the trades has been slow to evolve. It, it's not adapted well to technology. I think that's starting to change now. But but the same electrical wires we were dealing with 50 years ago, the same ones we're dealing with now, plumbing really hasn't changed. HVAC's probably made some efficiency gains, but at the end of the day, it's still a lot of the same equipment. What do you see the future of the trades looking like? Do you think the model's going to change as to how we approach clients? Do you think technology will play a bigger part into it? Do you think there's going to be any new revolution of uh, what the trades looks like in the upcoming years? Yeah, you know, revolution not a word I use a lot with anything. I think evolution probably is better because I think I think it's evolved. But while you say it's, it's still a lot the same, I mean, things have, have changed. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, connected home, uh, and I don't think people really, they hear the word, they like it. You know, we, we like it. Um, you know, we're, we've been testing some things that that's something that, you know, has, has a future. I mean, just even how you're, you're, you know, with our brands, how the technicians interact with the consumer, right? I mean, you're using iPads. I mean, you're showing people options. I think consumers are more educated and the next generation, you know, you guys are both millennials, you know, your kids, my kids, as they come up, I mean, they're going to look for, you know, ease of purchase. They're going to look for, they're going to have all the information. They're not going to take some guy going, oh, yes, they'll take whatever to do and, and not have any accountability. So I think, you know, transparency in kind of what we're doing, how we're doing, which I think we do a good job of, you know, showing people like I, I personally am a customer. Uh, when I, a couple of years ago, radically bought you my uh, HC units uh, and furnace crapped out at my house in Maryland. And so I had a, a one hour come out and they put everything in. And when, when he was done, he actually took me around to show me the install. Now, I think that's normal. Maybe it was because I'm the CEO. But I mean, of course, he's showing me things that I don't understand, right? I mean, it looks good to me, right? But everything's connected. Nothing's leaking. Sounds good. But I mean, so, so you have to tell me if that's normal or not. But I mean, I was really impressed with the fact that this guy was just took it to that next level to show me what to do. He showed me how to you know, change my micro power guard. And I mean, I thought that was tremendous. And I think that's what I think consumers are going to be more accustomed to, right? As, as the more we do it, the more they're going to get accustomed to it. And I think we're in a good position to capitalize on that. Yeah, as it turns out, I believe your mom's a customer as yeah. well. Here. My mom is now a customer. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we may, about an hour ago. We may, yeah. we may or may not have a crew over there installing your mom's system <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> and a, uh, yeah. It, it one uh, Mr. Roar install manager who may or may not be going there as it started and as it's wrapping up. Well, <laughs> and yes, well, I, um, most, I would say most, most um, installers, lead installers are taught by our franchise to show, show the homeowner everything that was done. I know even as a plumbing tech before I got out of a truck, part of what I did post job yeah. was to walk the homeowner around say this was taken care of this was taken care of i love to take pics before and after as well and say this is what it looks like now not sure if you remember here's what it looked like before we got started just to kind of see the oh yep. oh yeah wow it looks a lot better yeah i think online right i mean digital places try to really they can only really compete on price right but i think consumers want reliability I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, flashback to, you know, a year ago, that same brand new system developed an issue and apparently some of the fittings 
that they had been experimenting with, some new type of fitting, it failed on one of the AC units. And so the, the, the guy's out fixing it, and he took it upon himself. He's like, look, he goes, we put that same fitting on the other one. He goes, I'm going to replace that one today, too. He goes, because I'll be out here in six months if I don't. Right? And so that type of reliability and transparency, I think that's the type of thing that's going to keep me as a customer forever. And, it, as, and again, just like anything, not every business is for everybody. You've got to look at, like, who are we targeting? And, and can we maintain that? And so I think, you know, we're, we're, main tar- we're, we're targeting a middle, middle class and up in, in, in our brands. And I think we can continue to keep them um, for basically life if, if we do a good job. Absolutely. And that is certainly the hope. Uh, now, Rob, uh, as you mentioned, you're continuing to look for home services industries uh, to add to Authority Brands' portfolio. Uh, what might be a preview of some of those ideas or some industries you're looking into? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I got to be careful here, depending on who listens. A ton <laughs> of competition right now out there for, for doing exactly what we do. And in fact, I had a, had a person who just recently started a competing home services platform reach out and say, hey, I'd love to get to talk to you and, 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 and get your ideas on things. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, you know, the secret sauce, right? We don't want to give it up. But, you know, think and think of anything that's scalable. Um, the people that people are going to use on a regular basis, or, or at least you know, recurring to some level. Um, you know, things that that are not going to get disrupted by technology, right? There's not going to be robots taking over, or ultimately people saying, you know, I, I can, I can forego that, right? So, I mean, you, you can probably come up with some of those on your own, but um, but yeah, anything around the house, um, anything you know, helping you know, to do it for me. Um, I really think that you, know, you guys are part of that generation that really brought that into the forefront and, um, and, and made it acceptable. And then, you know, our kids' generation, they know nothing else, right? They're, they're just, they're constantly, looking. but their thing is they're going to want to make it easy to do, right? And so a lot of our focus here at corporate with our brand is consumer digital engagement. Like how do we engage our consumers in a digital manner easily so we can become the easiest to do business with? Because that's going to win. It's going to win over price. Right, and we're going to—we're easy to do business with. We're reliable, professional. Yeah, it might cost a little bit more, but they don't even have the time to go out and shop. You know, a hundred different places. They don't want this, right? They'd rather just, you know, boom, you did it right, you're good. We're going to move on. These people pay eight bucks for coffee, right? So I'm not <laughs> not too concerned about what we're we're, we're charging for things. Yeah, we had uh, as this airs, we had Lance Sinclair on on the podcast last week. And he did some quick math and realized he has paid Starbucks about $50,000 over his lifetime. $50,000 to Starbucks. <laughs> and, and, and you don't see Starbucks going around going, man, what are we going to do when McDonald's starts at two bucks for coffee? They don't care. Right? I mean, they continue to provide the experience. And I actually read something this morning about that. Like their big pivot has been the drive through Right. I mean, prior to that, they were kind of a city only type thing. And as they moved into suburban America, they become great at drive throughs And, you know, Chick-fil-A is another one like that. Chick-fil-A, I heard, is trying, trying out like the four lane drive through And oh, these wow. guys are it's still going to be full. Amazing, right? Still going to be full. Still, still going to be full. Exactly. County. Yep. Well, I, I, I'm pretty certain they put some sort of drug in those chicken nuggets because <laughs> every time my kids had a birthday party, it was like, they just kept eating in them and we could never buy a big enough platter. You know, <laughs> yeah, so, we've started, uh, <laughs> we've started taking our, our drive trip vacations. Great thing about Pennsylvania, much like where you're at is we can drive to so many great beach destinations within a few hours. Yep. We've actually started doing Saturday to Saturday because the only time I ever think to want Chick-fil-A 
is on the way there or on the way home, which used to be Sunday to Sunday, and they're closed. So we actually had to change yeah. up our vacation. Thank you, Chick-fil-A. Yeah. <laughs> you know, think about them, right? I mean, they actually disrupted an entire business model, and that is malls. I mean, prior to Chick-fil-A, malls actually have rules. You have to be open on Sunday. And Chick-fil-A's are in malls, and, 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 you know, in the food court, and they're closed. Oh, like, I didn't know that. that. I didn't know there was a rule that about power. that. That's amazing. They're, well, I only know this because um, a number of years ago, we actually did an experiment where we actually did a kiosk um, for home services in, in a mall here in Maryland. And we were working with a GPP, with the, the company there, their nationwide mall uh, landlord. Now, I don't know how they've done through the pandemic, but they, they were. Um, and that was one of like in the contract is like, you have to be open. Right. And, and all these things. And then all of a sudden Chick-fil-A shows up and I'm like, well, they're not going to be open. And so these guys have enough power, right. Enough influence that they're able to, to get people because consumers are demanding. We want a Chick-fil-A, right. We want to have those things. And so I'd love to say that we could someday have our brands be that iconic. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. Um, you know, but I, I certainly think as we continue to grow, um, we have opportunity there. I mean, I, I, you know, one other thing I mentioned, I did maybe didn't mention about our brands is, you know, most of them are actually one, two, or three in their market right now. You know, one hour is number one. You know, Mr. Sparky's number one. I mean, Queen Authority, I think, is number one this year. ASC is number one. Um, it's it's really exciting to have, you know, category leaders, you know, as a part of authority brands. And, and you know, as we continue to add locations across the country, um, you know, we stand a better chance of, of you know, engaging consumers and, and becoming a household name. Well, I don't think you'll hear any complaints if uh, we start shutting down on Sundays. That would probably be okay. <laughs> It'd be okay with the text. Well, the text, sure. the, the consumer might have well, a concern. Well, let me ask you that. That's an interesting, I know I'm not supposed to ask you questions, so I'll ask you one. Oh, I'm no. In, interview for, away, Rob. This will be a first for interview? us. Interview? All right. All right. <laughs> We're going to flip the script. Um, no, I've actually, I've actually heard that one of the things that uh, employers are doing in your space to attract labor is saying, look, there's no one call. Because Absolutely. that's unattractive to people that you know want to have a life. Uh, we are uh, FYI. We are going to edit this part out because <laughs> some of our texts listen. Not many, but some. Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely. The the no on call thing is is becoming something that employers are being forced to do because, as we were talking about, you know, the the generation up and coming, which I think it said seventy percent of the workforce, uh, you know, under the executive level by twenty twenty five will be millennials. Seventy yeah. percent. And what we found with the majority of them ourselves in, in hiring so many of them is they, they don't like the on-call. They, they want to be done at a certain time or, or near a certain time and once they're home, not be called back out. And we ourselves have implemented some new systems and shifts uh, whereby we have two guys who work Tuesday through Saturday, so they're always off Sunday and Monday. We have one guy who always works Sunday through Thursday, so he's off Friday and Saturday, so we have the weekend covered and then we have a shift that is noon to eight where it's somebody who, who likes starting a little bit later and doesn't mind getting home a little bit later so we can hit the later calls. Now we still have on call rotations um, for that, for that extra time, but I do think we're moving toward moving toward that model fully where if you have an on call at night, you have somebody who's on that shift who doesn't mind, yeah. know, can't really get up in the morning and doesn't mind being out late. That's yeah. probably where it's headed. I think it's great. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in the seventies and I mean, I remember stuff was closed all the time, right? I mean, it's just over time we've gotten to this, you know, 24 seven mentality and, 
you know, can argue whether it's healthy or not. But, um, you know, I know as, as somebody who, who I, I don't want to necessarily work a 24-7 job, um, and I never have ever, and that's one of the things that why I chose clean back in the day was, you know, Monday through Friday, kind of still is. I mean, occasionally do some Saturdays. It's like uh, if there's a holiday or bad weather. Um, but by and large, I mean, it's, you know, you'll find most house cleaning companies are open eight to five Monday through Friday. Oh, absolutely. Right? The t- tough part for us is if your mom's, you know, faucet, kitchen faucet handle breaks off at night and she can't get the main shutoff turned off, we need somebody to get out there and, and get that thing shut off for. It doesn't have, necessarily have to do the long Fair repair enough. tonight. Yeah. Yeah, there can be levels, but so you're right. I mean, you know, having that nice balance of what what's a true emergency versus a want, right? And 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 that's something you got. You know, obviously you're able to to judge and deal with. Yeah, and that's but, that's where it gets a little uh, tough for for some techs. They don't if it's just a clogged toilet and they have two other toilets working, they don't really want to go there at eleven o'clock at night. But then if you go out, like I came here from Las Vegas, um, people work insanely oddball shifts all over the Vegas Valley. So you have to be a 24 hour company there because nine to five jobs are not all that common there. So somebody might get off work at 4 AM and that's when they want somebody to come over right before they go to bed or they get off at 2 AM or what have you. So you have some places, I'm I'm guessing New York city might be a lot like that because they say it's the city that never sleeps, but some places that are kind of, you know, all 24 hour places where you kind of need shifts. But I think the shift model actually works. You just have to have to find people who are willing to take the oddball shift. Maybe it, you compensate them a little bit more, or that's just kind of their nature. Night owls. Yes. Yeah. Hey, you're right. Interestingly, I remember our cleaning authority guy in Las Vegas, he, he told me there's 24 hour cleaning company there. That's like, that's the only place. <laughs> wow. It's because of exactly what you, they, because of what you described, right? If, you know, if, if people are working an oddball shift, like they can't have somebody there during the day when they're sleeping, right? Because their whole life is, you know, a second or third shift. So I get it. Makes sense. Now, Rob, we're bringing in for a landing here. And I do find it interesting that you are a business owner yourself and you started off like on the front lines yourself. So I would ask you to inspire the listeners that we have, you know, what was it that that you had within you, what what was the most important decisions or attitudes that you held and made to get yourself from literally cleaning houses to now CEO of a, a major North American company? Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's a combination of hard work and, and opportunity, right? And um, I'd say, you know, what drove me is I, I, I really couldn't fail. Like, I mean, my wife and I were so far in debt that if I failed, I mean, it was going to be an ugly situation. And so I, I worked harder than I ever had in my entire life to get there. And, you know, you know a couple of things that I, I look at that helped me. And I think, you know, as business owners say, you know, what can help them? I look at, you know, whenever you own an, your own business, um, you know, having that family support is important. I mean, if you're married or you have a partner or, or, or you know, your parents or whatever it is, you know, having them all be on the same page because, you know, it's like the hardest thing you can, can ever do. And when you go home at night, I mean, sometimes you just might need a hug. You know, it's, hey, it's going to be okay. Tomorrow's another day. And if you go home and you get an I told you so, that's just not going to work, right? So, so that's, that's one. You know, the number, and I talked earlier about this one, you know, having money to do the, the thing you're going to do. So, you know, if, if you got, you know, X amount of dollars, don't try to do something that requires X plus. Because if you're in that damn boat, you're, you're apt to make bad decisions uh, or short-sighted decisions and, and set yourself up to fail. 
Um, you know, I think another thing in this particular franchising is can you be disciplined? You know, can you follow systems? And, you know, I think what, for me, I really took off when I, I really started regimenting my life. Like, you know, I get up every day between, you know, 4.30 and 5.30. I, I work out in the morning. So I want to you know, kind of get a fresh start of the day and just feel good and, and clear my head and then go, right? And then and work as, as long as I possibly need to. So, um, and then I'd say that the, the final one, and this is the, the one you can't, it's hard to judge to say. I think you know, Mike Tyson has that famous quote of, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> and it's like, how do you judge whether that person has that, right? And I think small business ownership really exposes that because especially when you're starting out, your leadership is so important because you're doing everything. You have to inspire your employees. You have to deal with your customers. You've got to handle the, the office. You've got to handle your vendors. You've got to build this whole thing. And I mean, that's kind of, uncommon skills for, for some people and, and they can be developed, right? But you have to be open to developing those. And, you know, one thing I, I ask candidates when they, they come through all the time uh, to, to start a business, I'm like, all right, because most people these days, right, have been part of teams. And my question is always like rhetorical, but I'm like, don't answer this. But, you know, one of those teams and their success is what was your role, right? Were you leading that team or were you kind of part of the team and kind of following along? Because you were in that section following, business ownership could expose you. Right. So if you were on the lead, lead front, you've got a much better chance right, of succeeding um, in, in kind of what you're doing. Again, back for all the reasons I mentioned. So, you know, that's for anybody out there that's looking to, you know, go into business for yourself or, or start, you know, you know, do your own thing. I mean, those are some, some things that I would certainly keep in the back of my mind. Absolutely. Hey, good stuff today, Rob. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. We can't let you go without asking you a couple fun questions at the end here. All right. Go for it. All right. Uh, a serious one to start off for you. What are you reading or listening to right now? Reading or listening to, um, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm probably the worst CEO in the world. I don't read a lot of management books. Um, <laughs> I tend to, to really try to take, keep up with like, you know, read the Wall Street Journal every day and, you know, other other newspapers kind of stay apprised of current events. I read industry magazines on franchising to kind of follow, you know, what are the trends there and, you know, there's a number, it'd be a completely different podcast, but I mean, a number of trends that are happening in franchising that we're trying to stay out of. So, so I do that and, and, mm. and, uh, don't really, you know, I'm going to start listening to your podcast more often. Um, obviously, but, obviously, uh, yeah. by large, obviously, yeah, <laughs> this episode I, for sure. Huh? <laughs> that's why I was, uh, so, it was so daunting, you know, with like Tim Kennedy, cause I'm like, I've heard that guy on Rogan, you know, I've heard him on Jocko and I'm like, now I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a heck of a treat for us for sure. Yeah, I get, I'm going to be pretty boring. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of that's kind of what I what I deal with. All right, all right. Um, what was your first live concert? First live concert would have been Rush. Oh, long, okay. long time ago, back in the '80s. Nice. All right, uh, you going to catch them on the uh, the retro tour? I don't know if they're still out there. I, I, yeah, well, I think um, the drummer passed. Yeah, just Kirk, not too long ago, right? Back. Yeah, year year two, yeah, but yeah. So now, you know, these days, uh, especially with, with the COVID, right? Not not a lot of concerts. I was was uh, looking into a few prior to that, but we'll, maybe we'll get back into it again. All right. Uh, how do you take your steak? Medium rare. All right, my man. All right, we there can we, we can still do business then. <laughs> <laughs> what about your coffee? Uh, just with, uh, kind of the sweet low black with, with a little bit of sweetener, sweetener. Okay. 
All right. Uh, have you ever been through a natural disaster? Um, you know, it's funny. I haven't, but but my wife has been through many uh, because since including whenever I including travel, seeing you or <laughs> where do you? Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dealing with me, no. It's, it's, it's funny. Uh, we, you know, we I went to school at, at uh, Vanderbilt, right, for a couple of years, but I spent my summer between the two years in Dallas. And there's a tornado went through Nashville. I missed it. You know, I, I'll go traveling for a trip and she'll call me up and tell me the power's out and all these things are going on. And I'm like, well, I'm fine. I'm in California. You know, everything's good. So, so I, I tend to know when to leave. I think it's uh, moral. <laughs> all right. Uh, what does the weekend plans of a busy CEO look like? Um, you know, I, I've got a, uh, I've got a vice and that is I like to handicap horse races. So I, I spend a lot of times on Saturdays uh, watching uh, horse racing from, you know, New York, Belmont, Saratoga, California, Del Mar, and uh, Santa Anita. And, and my wife and I actually have a, a very small share in a racehorse <laughs> in California. She's very slow. Um, do not bet her. Um, but she's, but we, 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 we enjoy it. What's the name? And then, of course, we're spending time with family. Uh, her name is Samanda. So oh, okay. named after uh, a couple of the owner's uh, wives and girlfriends. I'm I'm and, always and, curious about how horses, how the horses get these names that are like not names at all. Yeah, it can be anything you want, right? And then uh, a lot of times there's a derivative of maybe the the mom or the dad, right? And you see a little bit of that, and uh, and then sometimes it's just random, you know, or named after a person. Yeah. All right, last one for you. Uh, since you have such extensive history of cleaning houses, uh, do you clean your own house? Um, you know, I don't do the deep cleaning. I'm a, a customer of the cleaning authority, okay. as, as everyone should be. <laughs> uh, but I can tell you, I can tell you this: I have a, uh, I have a fastidious side where I, I can't stand clutter, and so I'm constantly picking up, cleaning up. And, and my wife gets mad because sometimes I, I throw things out that she's like, "Well, I was saving that." I'm like, "Well, sat there for two days, I threw it out." <laughs> right. So, uh, uh, but yeah, so I, 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 I like to stay clean, but I, I. I trying to get out of the business of the deep cleaning if I can. Yeah. Amen to that. Aren't we all? All right, Rob. Well, uh, we appreciate your time again today. Thanks so much for stopping by our show. We've enjoyed our time with you learning more about the authority brands as well as what you do on a day-to-day basis. Thanks for speaking into the lives of our technicians. Yeah. we appreciate you all coming right. on and, uh, we look forward to seeing you in Orlando in October. All right, Brian, Nate, appreciate it. Take care guys. Thanks Rob. Bye. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Waste No Day podcast spent with Rob Weddle. It was good talking to him and we really appreciate him taking some time out of his busy days to uh, sit by and hang out with us. It was great. And we hope you enjoyed learning more about the authority brands as well as what the future of our trades looks like. And we're looking forward to spending more time discussing the future of our trades in upcoming episodes, as well as what we can do to challenge you and to make your life a little bit better to challenge you to become a little bit better yourself. So thanks so much for listening to the Waste No Day podcast. Hit us up, find us on social media. You can also leave some comments or reviews for us on the podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your ideas for topics or guests. And as always, we challenge you every single day to wake up each morning ready to make yourself better and ready to waste no day.